Hello, 49ers fans. I hope everyone has recovered from the state of shock after seeing a victory on Sunday. Uh, I know over the Talking Touchdowns podcast, we're excited to talk about it. I am joined, as always, with Stephanie McCarroll. Hello, Steph. Hi, Tracy. I'm just thrilled that the 49ers have got at least one win in their pocket, and I'm hoping going forward it's a good sign. I absolutely agree with you. And we have today to talk with us more, uh, Mr. Bonta Hill from 95.7 The Game, uh, ex-columnist from The Examiner, and I think I forgot one. The most important one, the co-host of the Greg Papa Show at 95.7 again. The That's co-host the of the Greg... Hey, look, hey, look, when the 49ers win, we all lose our minds, right? Because we do. We're not used to that around here anymore. <laughs> it was, it's, it's confusing for everybody, and it has thrown off the rest of the week in a good way. Um, so let's talk about a win. As, as we all know, Steph and I have not been able to do that on this podcast uh, for quite some time. Um, but they won a game, which was... Very exciting. Yes, they beat the Giants, but something that I found interesting in looking at these two teams is clearly they're both bad teams, but one of them is definitely like a disaster with no end in sight, and one of them does kind of look like things are going in the right direction. I feel like that one is the 49ers, but I would like to hear from you guys. So let's start with Bonta, and then we'll go to Stefan. Am I saying your name correctly? Yeah, Bonte, just like Dante, but look at the Hey, don't worry, I was at Cobb's Comedy Club this past Friday, lady, and they had a table reserved for me, and it said, put me to Hill. So, don't feel bad about this. It's been happening my whole freaking life. I'm actually used to it now. There's two well, people here at the radio station say, Bonte, 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 so. I'm just going to call you David. Is that weird? It's whatever you want to call me, call me that. <laughs> Well, I'll let you, Mr. Hill, start uh, talking a little bit about uh, what I just said, that the 49ers are a little bit starting to look like a team that's going in the right direction, maybe. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch came in to clean, clean up Trent Baalke's nets, and you just look at the last few draft classes. Just take 2016, for example. One player from that draft class is left. One player, and that is DeForest Buckner. So you knew that depth was going to be an issue on this team, especially if any frontline starters were injured. And so you knew it was going to be a struggle, so you wanted to see progress. You wanted to see how competitive they could be. And right now, they are competitive. You talk about the five losses they had uh, by a combined 13 points. This is a team that was close to winning. Now, did we expect them to compete for a Super Bowl like the Oakland Raiders? No. We expected them to show some progress. So, you know, there is progress. You see C.J. Beathard improving. You see Ruben Foster improving. You see DeForest Buckner starting to ascend. Uh, Trent Brown. Uh, he's playing well at right tackle. So there is some good pieces and good building blocks to build off of. You just want to see them get a win because nobody, I don't care about people talking about tanking, improving draft pick uh, position, winning football games is what they're in the business for. Nobody likes to be losing. I don't care if it's Connect Four, Monopoly, Clue, <laughs> Trouble. I don't care what it is. Nobody likes to lose. So it was good to see them get a win, and they have something to build off of. They, they really do. With all the tap space, with all the young players and Kyle Shanahan growing as a head coach and Robert Sala as a DC, this team is on the right track. I would agree. Steph, what did you see the other day? Yeah, I think um, one correction is that Eric Reed is a Trent Balky, you know, draft pick and he's still there. I think that's probably the only one that I can think of. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, the team is comprised of all newbies and that's interesting from a 
rebuilding branding spot because they're really looking at these kids to, you know, form a brand new team with a brand new leadership. And that sort of, they're letting happen organically. And even with the release of Navarro Bowman, these kids are doing it and they're doing it on their own. And I think it's, it was exciting to see that after, you know, when celebration in the locker room, because, not at some point, and I had said this a long time ago, I thought that they needed a win from a morale standpoint alone. And I felt like if it didn't happen, it, you know, I was hoping the fifth game of the season that it would happen, that it would happen, that they could literally go 0-8. If they went 0-4, they'd probably go 0-8. And, and so, and of course, that happened. So I think here, when they had an option to beat the Giants, they had to do it. Now, I'm not saying the Giants are a great team. I'm not saying they're, you know, this was the win of the century. But a win feels good. And it's certainly better. A win to the Giants is a lot better feeling than a loss to the Giants. So they had to take that win. And they had to own it. And I think it went a long way. And they, for lack of a better term, they dominated in this game. And that certainly hasn't happened before in the season. Um, and, and may not happen again this season. So I think there was a lot for them to feel good about. Um, I think C.J. Beathard made the quarterback position a little bit more interesting. I do not believe C.J. Beathard is a franchise quarterback. I do believe that is definitely Jimmy Garoppolo's job. But he put them in a position where it isn't like we need to get this guy out there as soon as possible. I still think there's a very good chance they start him or that we at least see him play against Seattle. But at least it wasn't a situation where it was dire during the game that we're just going to have to throw them out there and hope for the best. Uh, and I think that was a big benefit for this team as well. No, I'm with you. Uh, you can't throw him in a situation where he's playing behind, you know, an offensive line. Thankfully, Jill Stanley was back, and I thought that would be a good opportunity to play Jimmy Garoppolo. But now you look at it with the bye week. Uh, you have two weeks to prepare for Seattle, and you want to see what he has. I'm, I'm starting to hear, ladies, that, you know, they should maybe stick with C.J. Beathard because it'll keep playing. Can you say that, Bunty? Can you say that one more time? We lost you for a second. Okay, I'm sorry about the connection issues here. Um, basically, what I was saying here was that they bring in Jimmy Garoppolo for a second-round pick, and I'm eager to see what Jimmy G has to offer. Now, I'm starting to hear lately that, that maybe they should stick with C.J. Beathard because it's not fair to possibly ditch him after a strong performance like that. Let's not forget, this is the New York Giants. It's a one-win team, so I could take anything away from C.J. Beathard, but he did look good. However, turn in a second-round pick, you're possibly going to have to pay Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, your franchise tag, and you're going to pay him 23 to $24 a season. If you want to sign up long-term, you're going to have to pay him over $100 million. So don't you want to see what your future investment has to offer? Because I remember guys like Scott Mitchell, Matt Flynn, Rob Johnson, where it looked good for a game or two, they got broke off with a lot of millions, with billions of dollars, and they looked like bums once they got the starting job. So I want to see what CJ, or excuse me, Jimmy Garoppolo had to offer, especially after the bye week. I think this is the perfect time to start him uh, with two weeks off of the I would be surprised if they don't start him against Seattle. Um, and I think that's not a, a knock on CJ Beathard at all. But, you know, I agree with you. He This was the Giants. And listen, he could have played poorly against the Giants 
and given them no option. But I think what C.J. Beathard has shown is there's potential there. They have some depth at the quarterback position. I think he potentially has earned himself the backup job at quarterback going forward. Um, I don't just mean in two weeks. I mean generally going forward. Um, So I I agree with you, though. You've got to see what you have in Garoppolo. And... You know, you gotta you gotta give him a shot, and he is a potential franchise quarterback. I don't think C.J. Beathard is. I think the kid is so tough, and I think he can play, and I think he is a good backup. But he's not a franchise quarterback, at least not right now. Yeah, and I I agree with you guys. I think that you know I want to see Jimmy Garoppolo play. I think part of the reason is. Well, you know, has he acclimated to the brand new everything? Because he's basically thrown into the pool at this point. But then again, I think about it, and they're all newbies out there. They're all rookies. They're all, like, sort of thrown into the fire at this point. So I don't know if there's too much to learn here. Like, they don't have, you know, they're all working at the same disadvantage. So I think that this is a real opportunity for Jimmy Garoppolo to shine and really show some leadership skills and he has some years under his belt and he has done some good things. So I'm hoping that he can get out there and inspire these guys in a way that they have not seen yet. I hope so too. And wouldn't it be cool if they could just beat Seattle? Wouldn't it be great if uh, someone... Wishful thinking. Wishful yeah. Wishful thinking. It's not... Well, you know what, though? Up in Seattle, they played them tough. They did. They played them really tough. Uh, they had a chance to win that game. Defensively, they're stout. And Seattle doesn't have a very good offensive line. They have no running game. Richard Sherman's out. Uh, Earl Thomas still has a hamstring problem. Seattle's right for the taking here. Let's see the 49ers win some game. I'm you know just saying. You know saying? No one's taking this and that. Beat Seattle. That rivalry's still alive. And since Seattle measured to say, hey... The 49ers are coming. They're coming in the NFC West. We're taking your throne in the future. Why not? They could, they could beat Seattle easily. Easily? Yeah, I, are we going easily? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I like the enthusiasm. The fans will kick out of me there. Really. Sorry about that. No, they're, they're not beating Seattle easily at all. But <laughs> Seattle, I mean, they're vulnerable this year. They're definitely vulnerable. They're breaking down the Legion of Boom. I you know, agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's not there. They just signed Byron Maxwell. He's not a great corner, so uh, I, yeah, they're, they're, they, they can't. This 49ers season not beating anybody easily. Even that New York Giants victory wasn't easy. So <laughs> they get a little carried away, but they, hey, they can upset them there. Why not? You know what? A win will do that to you. When you had nine losses in a row, one win, no matter who it's against, and you're like, you know what? This is they can go seven and nine. They're going to compete for a wild card spot. <laughs> They're not. I just just so I just so nobody ats me on Twitter. I don't actually believe that. So I just want to throw that in there right now. Yeah, don't at me. I didn't really say that, guys. Edit that part. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, no, I like it. I you know what? I like the idea of it. I like the enthusiasm. I like the positivity. Why not? Um, yeah, I like the enthusiasm. I like the positivity. Why not? You know, they have. It'll. You know, hopefully, maybe a couple weeks will give a little some healing time to some of the injuries. They did play tough against Seattle about 20 members of injured reserve ago, but still, um, they they did play they did play tough against them. So we shall see, we shall see. But I think it's gonna. I think with this team, you really you see a vision. You got to see a glimpse of what Kyle Shanahan's offense offense could like look like with the right personnel. Um, and then again on the other side of the ball, the Giants are just bad with no 
end in sight. They're haphazard all over the place. So at least we know our team is moving in a generally right direction, hopefully. Oh, I agree. I agree. The New York Giants are a mess right now. Going to the locker room after a game, talking to Big McAdoo. It was surprising, actually. Some of the players thought that Ben McAdoo should stay. Um, but they're a train wreck. They're, they were picking up the Super Bowl. They're picking up for the NFC. The 49ers could be. Thankfully, they're not the New York Giants. They're a team that, again, expectations wasn't high. Nobody expected much of them. But this team, what I love about them is they compete. They play hard with Kyle Shanahan. They had, there was one guy who played this year on this team, and that was Navarro Ball. And he was gone four days later. Now, we all love Ballman. We all understand he didn't want to take a, a, a role, a, a, a cut uh, with his playing time. But, I mean, other than that, guys are playing hard. Carlos Hyde is playing hard. Uh, these guys are they, they believe in Shanahan and Robert Sala and John Lynn, so that's a good thing to see. When you have a young team like this, full of rookies, full of guys fighting for jobs, they're giving maximum effort. Whenever you give maximum effort, any given Sunday, anything can happen. And it almost happened five straight weeks for this team when they lost by to buy 13 points. So they're right there. A couple more pieces here and there. They're going to be fine. I, now, honestly, ladies, I don't know if this team will be ready to win next year. It all depends on free agency. Does free agents want to come here to Santa Clara and say, hey, they're not there yet, but I want to be part of the team that it's growing? Or will it be in year three of the Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch era? Who knows? But they have a plethora of picks. You know, they have a bunch of cash space. They possibly have their quarterback in the future. Things are a life brighter down there at Santa Clara despite the one win. I think yeah, absolutely. Just absolutely agree. I think it's. I think what I like the most about everything that's gone on is just the change in culture. It's not the, okay, this is how we do it in San Francisco land or Santa Clara land. <laughs> I feel like there's an actual change in culture, and that's the winning culture, and that we want to win here. And we're, yes, we've lost, but we're doing all these things. And, and losing, unfortunately, builds upon a desire to win more. And when those wins happen, they mean more. They're they're significant and they're they're channeling and they they create usually, you know, a momentum. Not just not just in games but in attitude and in culture. And so that's what I'm hoping for. Like those are the victories that I see and I see it's almost a different team being like born here. Well, and I thought Joe Staley said something really interesting the, the other day after the game. He said that this team is a very close team. It's much closer than it was last year, and that it's much closer than it was in the in Harbaugh's last year. And I really think you can see that uh, when you are around the team, when you are in the locker room. It is different. You know, they moved the lockers around. Everybody used to sit by position group, and now everyone's all mixed up. Um and I think that that actually has helped. I, I think that does bring you closer together because now you're knowing guys who aren't just the guys you're in with me in meeting rooms with all day long. Um, but they it allows you to widen out uh-huh. and really get to know each other, and that's important in the team dynamic. And they fight for each other. And I think even what we saw last week with Carlos Hyde. Sorry, go ahead, Monte. Oh no, I was just going to say you're talking about Joe Staley. Now, i got to ask, ladies, what you guys thought about it coming after the game. Talking about this win felt just as good as the NFC Championship win. 
Now, Joe Staley, we know, has been hurt. Probably been popped up by some nets. I mean, I, I love Joe Staley. But, man, he had to be sipping some of that soda water to speak like that. I, come on. Well, we're playing against New York Giants. Well, but I think I actually didn't have a problem with it because I, I think I, to me, what he meant was in the context of this season. In that season, winning the NFC Championship game, going to the Super Bowl was obviously the best thing in, in any NFL season. That's the pinnacle. But I, I felt like what he was saying was, this has been really rough. It's been a rough almost three years. So he, or four, he went through that last year of Harbaugh with all the drama and all of that. He went through the Tom Sula year when they were 5-11 and 11 and like morale was super low. He went through it last year. And I think, I felt like what he was saying was, we're a close team, we're a tight-knit group, we fight for wins, we're fighting for each other, and we needed this win, and it felt as good as winning the NFC Championship, NFC Championship game. I don't think he's equating them as being on the same level, but I think for where they are right now, it felt as good to him. So that's how I took the quote, so I didn't have a, I didn't yeah, have a problem with it. I, sorry, I didn't mean to Oh, no, that's it. You. And I, to me, like, as an athlete, and, you know, I, I was in the Pac-12, you know, in division, league play, and, and what I feel is, because you do get those kind of in-your-face questions, but oh, when you have been torn down and you are not winning, those wins matter, you know, to your psyche, to the team, to the everything that goes on. So I had to defend him a little bit, too, and I think that, What's important here is, like, what's he going to say? Eh, it was all right. <laughs> of course he's going to be no, the person that says, he's an older lady. person We're on the team, a very Whoa, wait, wait, you guys are both he talking got... something. <laughs> sorry, right. Steph, say that. No, no Steph, sorry, say that one more time. Steph. Say that one more time. I was just saying, what is he going to say? He's not going to say, oh, that, was a, that, that win was just okay. He is really, um, uh, you know, one of the rock building blocks around the 49ers at this juncture. He's got to be there for it. He's got to be saying, hey, this, this felt amazing. This is how we're in, what we're going to do going forward. That's just part of his job as a leader and veteran on this team. That is 100% what he has to say every time. Every time. I agree. Bonte, you were saying? Yeah, I just thought he would just, yeah, I'm sorry, Tracy. No, I was just saying, man, that was extreme, though, to go from your first one of the season to equating it to an NFC championship game. I, I, I get where he was coming from. I, I get the pride and the effort there. But I was just like, NFC championship, Joe. Come on, you've won some big games, big, big days. So to equate this one to a floundering New York Giants team, I thought was a little was a little extreme. But I understand what he was saying. I understand what he was coming from. And you know what? I'm happy the 49ers didn't trade Joe Staley. Having a veteran guy like that around here to teach the young guys who's been a 49er through and through, and to hear somebody like him say, I don't want to be traded. I want to be around when they fix this thing over and over and over. So, uh, Joe Staley, a lot of, lot of, look, a lot of these guys, Marquise Goodwin, Joe Staley, they had every excuse to not play this week. Every excuse to not play this week. But you know what? They did. They came back. Marquise Goodwin, we know about that story. Uh, yeah. Joe Staley coming back from the orbital bone. I mean, that was just that was just pride right there. To come back from a broken orbital bone to protect your rookie quarterback, to say to hell with this. You've been hit 47 times the last three weeks, where you're not going to get hit much this week because I'm going to protect you. So that was good to see from Joe Staley. 
It was, and I think, um, you know, speaking of Marquise Goodwin, that was incredible. We just got off um, the conference call with him a little while ago, and he's really an incredible person. And he and his wife, they are incredible people, and he talked a lot about his faith and how his faith really is what brought him through, and there's a plan that you have to believe in. And he said that it, his wife really, it was her who told him he had to play. It was really her decision, and and I think he was glad he did it. Probably in some ways it was very helpful for him. I think he's incredible. I don't know how he did it, um, but what an incredible person. And he said he wanted to share his story so that, you know, there are other people who go through this, and he wanted them to know that they're not alone, and I think that's pretty fantastic. His so. statement. Oh, we his, no, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Go. <laughs> um, go ahead, Bonte. No, I was just going to say, we had nobody, no idea in the press box what Marquise Goodwin was going through. It, no. it reminded me of Tory Smith. Uh, when his brother died 20 hours before he played, his brother died on a motorcycle, and he comes back 20 hours later to help the Baltimore Ravens beat the New England Patriots. Talk about Joe Juravicious. Uh, over 10 years ago, when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, he lost his son two days after the Super Bowl, but he was in a hospital leading up to the NFC Championship game all week long. Uh, so these guys, what they, to, to put together, to go ahead and like, and just not even think about it and play a game of football after his son just died at 3.52 in the morning, I, I, I can't possibly say another bad thing about Marquise Goodwin. And I feel bad by being critical of his route running or being critical of his drops. I mean, that right there, things like that went over teammates. Things like C.J. Beth getting pounded into the ground and just getting back up to play another snap. That wins over teammates. Joe, like I mentioned before, Joe Staley coming back from a broken orbital bone. He had every right not to come back and play this season, but he did. Mar what Marquise Goodwin did was just, that, that is just, I, I can't put him into words. And, and just looking at the photos and looking at what he said, I mean, that, that, it brought tears to my eyes, ladies, to be honest with you, man. I, I just, something, I couldn't imagine trying to play a game or let alone doing a radio show knowing that my son just died. No, it was it was pretty, it was pretty incredible. I don't know how he did that, um, but that was it was pretty incredible. And I agree with you. I don't think I can never say a bad word about Marquise Goodwin again. I don't care what he does, to be honest. So um, he will never be criticized by this fangirl ever again for anything. Um, but he is a pretty incredible person. He and his wife are. Just incredible people. I think it's a lot of strength. Um, so that um, that was that. But I thought it was worth bringing up and mentioning. Um, and it was just really incredible. And I think it really was amazing to say that you know other he wanted other people to know the story, so that because people go through this and because it's not easy to talk about these things. So. Right. He didn't have to, he didn't have to talk about it. He didn't have to bring it up. He didn't have to, you know, bring it to attention. I think it just tells us a little bit about him as a person, that these things do happen to everyday people. And I think that's important. You know, I think he's using his platform for good. And, you know, it's a, it's a good way to really bring attention to stuff that happens on an everyday level. You kind of, expected to go to your job the next day I mean he's not the first and he's not the last you know and he's in he's in a different position where he opted out like he, like you said so 
he decided to go forward just like the regular person. And I, and I felt really, when he said what he said during the conference, I felt just, just sort of taken aback and, and just really feel grateful for my life. And then, and I think that I hope most 49ers fans felt the same way. I would agree. Well, on that note, uh, Bonte, thank you for joining us today. It was good talking Niners. It was fun talking about a win. That was you've been the maybe first. Maybe I'm a good luck charm. You ladies knew that I was coming on this week, and the 49ers knew that I was coming on, so they were like, you know what? We need something positive to happen. We need Bonte to be talking about a victory because Bonte hasn't talked about a victory, and this is his first time on this podcast, so. Well, then we will be talking to you in a couple of weeks after the Seattle game. <laughs> when they, they beat the Seahawks easily. Easily. Right. Easily. Easily. No. easily. You easily. heard it here first. Got a little bit. <laughs> you and Joe Staley. The, uh, you guys heard it here first. The 49ers will win that game easily. It'll be like no problem. <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. Well, Bonte, thank you for joining us. I can't wait to watch that game now. You've given me a lot to look forward to. Um, Thanks for being our good luck charm. Absolutely, ladies. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I can't wait to talk to you ladies soon. All right. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, I want to thank Bonte Hill for joining us. We are now joined by Rich Madrid, who you guys all know from 49erswebzone.com, Niner Noise, and Football Zebras. Welcome back to the podcast, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, We saw a good uh, 49ers win the other day, uh, of course, against the Giants. We saw a good win. We saw... Some good quarterback play from C.J. Beathard. Um, I would say probably his days as the starting quarterback are numbered. Uh, Soon we will be seeing Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think we can all agree that the state of quarterbacking in the NFL is not exactly as it was. I was actually talking to my brothers the other day at how amazing it was. Like, when you think back on it, that there was a time where Joe Montana and Steve Young were quarterbacks on the same team. Like, that is crazy. Um, And that is not where we are today. So... That brings up an obvious issue. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a guy named Colin Kaepernick, but (laughs) he's kind of a big deal, (laughs) and he is not playing in the NFL. He was named GQ Citizen of the Year this week, which is fantastic, but he's not playing the NFL for reasons that many believe, including, I think, everyone currently on this podcast, um, that he is being kept out of the NFL for the anthem protest. So, Rich, I would love to start with you and talk about this more. Um, yeah, so when you when you look around the NFL and you see the quarterbacks that are currently starting, whether it be just they were the, the number one starter or um, they're filling in for their team's starter, you know, in the abs- in, in their absence, um, it, it's a, it's kind of a travesty when you when you look at some of the names. I mean, you know, our very own Brian Hoyer s- still manages to uh, stick around the NFL. Um, you know, after they cut him, he, he went back to the Patriots. Um, you know, some of the other teams, Brett Hundley, he hasn't looked too good for the Packers, even though they won. Um, a lot of Packers nation, even some of my diehard Packers friends are like, dude, what is, what is up with that? Like, he's just not good. Um, 
you know, I'm looking at the list. You know, you've got um, who, who else is out there right now? You got Tom Savage quarterbacking for the Texans. You got Blake Bortles quarterbacking for the the Jaguars, and none of these guys are particularly any good. Um, Shelby Brissett. But I'm okay. sorry. Gabbert, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. who's I mean, probably going to start back. on Sunday? Gabbert's going to be starting, you know, and they brought Matt Barkley back for a week um, to back him up. Um, you know, you got Jacoby Brissett. He's probably looked the best out of the bunch of quarterbacks that's um, kind of been on the replacement list here. Um, but even then, he was a guy that you know everyone kept saying before the season. Well, you know, Kaepernick just doesn't have time to learn the playbook. Um, well, that's, you know, we know it's complete BS because teams are starting quarterbacks that have never been on their roster before and don't know their playbook. Um, you know, you look at what Sam Bradford did last year starting, you know, a week or two after he went to Minnesota. And, and not to knock Sam Bradford, I think he's an exceptional quarterback. Um, but, you know, Jacoby Brissett started, was starting eight days after he arrived in Indianapolis this season. So, you know, just a lot of the arguments they make, um, that the, that the critics make of Kaepernick just have you know, over time have proven not to hold any water. I um, agree with that assessment. And I think, and I I think Steph, we've talked about this before, you know, for me, like I'm not making the argument that Colin Kaepernick is one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And it's an outrage that he's not starting, but you can't tell me he's not one of the top 64. You also can't tell me he's not one of the top 25, but you really can't tell me he's not one of the top 64 and they shouldn't at least have a job. And I think it's almost laughable at this point it, when teams sign quarterbacks. It's almost like sometimes I feel like we're being punked or that sometimes they're trying to sign someone so ridiculous just because they can. I know that sounds crazy, but and I know that that's not necessarily the case, but you do hear like, you know, Mike Lennon signed a $16 million contract. Tom Savage is signing. We're not going to sign Colin Kaepernick because we have a starter, so we certainly don't need two starters starting caliber quarterbacks on our team. I mean, these things are so ridiculous, and it just – I would actually have so much more respect um, if the NFL just came out and was like, yeah, we just don't want him around. We're going to be honest about that. I wouldn't be okay with it, but at least it'd be honest. Um, but Yeah, at least, at least you'd know. Yeah, so I think... But they're never going to do that. No. They're just never... The NFL is anything but forthright. They, in a weird way, they're, you can really see exactly what they're doing, um, you know, being forthright, but in a weird way, they're kind of back, you know, doing it the backwards way. Um, you know, I, I wrote about how I felt about it. There's just no other reason. And, and and many GMs have gone on record saying there's no other reason except for the anthem protest. And I hate to call it the anthem protest because it's not really about the anthem. It was just the way he decided to protest in general. And he said he didn't want to do it forever. He said all these things. And, and, I, and I do believe him on that. I think when people say, well, he's not smart enough to learn this system or that system, you know, I go back to the fact that he was an AP student, he was on honor roll, he graduated with honors, he's probably one of the smarter quarterbacks, and I mean, if you want to go there, go look at, you know, what he scored, you know, in the combine. He is not stupid, he's far from stupid. So, 
I, it's just, I think it really goes to show that this is a good old boys club. And as much as I love the NFL, it's just, it's a bad look for them. Because I feel like everybody can see through it except for them. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, you were saying, you know, people saying that he's not smart or whatever. And, and you know, you bring up all his, all the the honor stuff that he did in college and how good of a student he was and the combine score and everything. And, um, it, it, it really, that's one of the, the arguments that I just really hate about the, the whole criticism of him, of him, of him being a quarterback, because you don't, you, you can learn a system in seven days. Okay. For an example, for example, Jimmy Garoppolo, it was reported last week that Shanahan said that if he needed to put him in, um, against, Whoever, I guess I can't even remember half the games now because it's been such a, a whack season. But this first week there, you know, he said he could have went in if he had to. He was comfortable with about 25 pass plays and 20 run plays, or maybe it was the other way around. But, you know, he, these guys pick this stuff up quick because, you know, really the only thing that changes are the, the names of the plays. The concepts, a lot of them don't change unless they're, you know, tweaking something here and there or trying to install a variation of something. And so when you watch Kaepernick play or some of these other quarterbacks, they don't need to be able to scan the entire field. They need to be able to to limit their mistakes and, and look at one side of the the field or another because a lot of times they don't have time to scan the entire field. They don't have three and a half seconds or more to sit in the pocket and make a decision. Um, and you've seen that with Kaepernick and the 49ers the last few years. You know, the, the degradation of the offensive line play, it's really forced Kaepernick to to look at one side and make a decision basically pre-snap where he's going to go. And, and he was pretty good at it last season. Um, most quarterbacks aren't reading the, the entire field. You know, I'd say probably 30 out of 32 quarterbacks in the NFL right now aren't reading the entire field because a, they just don't have time and B a lot of it is determined pre-snap where they're going to go because of things like the offensive line and how good some defenses are and, and things like that. So you don't, you don't need a quarterback that's going to sit back there and, and, give you three and a half, four seconds of good good pocket presence to make a play. I mean, Kaepernick's pocket presence was probably the best out of any season he's had last season. And even then, he still only had about two and a half seconds to throw because of the quality of the line. Um, and so, and then, then that leads to the next point real quick. It's just, you know, reading a defense. Um, not Nobody on Twitter knows how to read a defense. I, I don't know how to read a defense. I just know what... Speak for yourself. I could read a defense. Well, just kidding. I couldn't read right. a defense to but save you know my life. Like the, people, <laughs> the, people that, the people that say it, it's like you can say, well, he can't read a defense. Okay, well, can you tell me what that means? Like, Well, right. You can, you can see when a quarterback can't do it. Like you watch Kirk Cousins or Blaine Gabbard or somebody just... Or even Brian Hoyer just completely stare at a linebacker before he throws the ball right to the linebacker. Okay, that's a pretty obvious example of a quarterback not reading the defense. But outside of that, we have no idea what they're implementing for, you know, how, how to teach a quarterback how to read a certain player or if they're reading progressions or if they're reading coverages or things like that. We just don't know. We don't know the plays. Yeah, There's no that's the other no thing. Play. That is the other thing. We don't know the plays. And I think, and I, I, hey, he's doing this, he's doing that, when you don't know what been called i mean if you are the coach and you say he can't that's one thing because you know you are privy to the plays but we are not as fans 
And the other thing that, and the other thing that I think people always forget, and this happens with quarterbacks, this happens with coaches. Why did he call this play? Why did he call that play? Not only do we not know the plays, we also don't know all the things that happened on that play that made it break down before the ball was ever snapped. And like Rich talked about with the line, you don't know if the fullback missed the block, if a running back missed the block, if the receiver ran the wrong route. Like there's a lot of things that happen during a play that we just don't know. Um, And, you know. Figure it out as you go, but it's not something that's all on one guy. No, definitely not. There's a lot of problems on the 49ers. And that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I think if a quarterback drops back, and let's say Cap drops back, and he throws to one side of the field because a play broke down, we didn't know the play, and we didn't know all the other people that helped made it break down before he even, you know, and that's the thing. And so so last season, so this past offseason, I wrote a a huge article about all this kind of stuff and what what to specifically look for when a quarterback does that. So this, and it, it was... You know, basically, my conclusion that Kaepernick should be a starter. He's good enough, and he exhibited these traits. Um, you can look, so you know, you don't always know what kind of, you know, what they're seeing or what, you know, what they're reading or whatever. But you can tell when a quarterback throws on time and when he doesn't. Um, there's, you know, you just have, but you have to know and you have to get into the study of like quarterbacking and footwork and route timing and route trees and things like that before you can really fully understand and for me i'm still learning a lot of that like i've spent the last three years reading about all that stuff before i even started writing about it before i felt comfortable writing about it um you know i I had conversations with my old football coaches in high school um but a lot they sent me a lot of resources that they used to use they still use when they coach um so and there's so many different ways to, to to dissect it but you know, one of the one of the best resources out there is finding the winning edge, where Bill Walsh talks about how he married up the footwork and the three step drop to certain route concepts and the timing in certain plays. And I mean, it, unless you, unless you if you're a casual fan, you have no idea how any of that works, and that's fine because not everybody has time to do that. It's just something I like doing. Um, I don't think I'm you know I don't think I'm the best there is at doing it. I I just know what I see based on what I've learned and what I've studied. So and you can see it in Kaepernick, like the, the development over the course of five years from 2011 to, to last year. Um, I would make the argument that he was a better quarterback last year than he's ever been in his, in his career. That's even going back to 2012 and 13. So um, that's just kind of where I sit with him right now. That's big. I, I think that, you know, I have always given the 49ers a pass, and I've said this multiple times, because I do think they needed a fresh start with a new coach, new GM. And that was sort of part of the agreement when they cleaned house, you know, include all the way up, that I thought, you know, that the coach should be able to pick the quarterback. And I actually thought it would be good for Colin Kaepernick to get a fresh start as well. I was sort of taken aback that he nobody even worked him out. You know, I mean, I guess there was one, right, the Seahawks, mm-hmm. and there was, like, another few, like, rumors that they were interested, there was prayers, and something like that, but my, my, it's just astounding to me, um, and I do think he's going to win on his collusion case, just based on, just based on the, it's fine to not, you know, want him as a quarterback but I think for the reasons that they decided to do it coupled with what's going on politically I mean you can't say that 
when the president tweets like against this particular player, that that doesn't have an impact on an organization. So that's right. And we've we've seen how the president likes to step in and influence decisions that businesses make, and not just the NFL, but other areas of the economy as well. Yeah. So I think that's more or less what's happening here, and I just feel like it's sad. You know, everyone says, well, you know, you need to stick to sports and you need to keep politics out of it. Well, I think politicians should stay out of sports. I, that's, that's, I think that's very fair. Um, I think politicians should very much stay out of sports. And I think, but I, you know, and I think, though, it's irresponsible as humans. Um, we have a, the collective we, and we have a platform now to talk about things and to give our opinion and to have discourse with people. And so I don't know that people need to stick to one thing. You know, this idea, stick to this, stick to that, is, even though I agree with you, politics should stay out of sports. Politicians, excuse me, should stay out of sports. But if they're not going to, then sports writers aren't going to stick to sports. But we also have platforms to share our opinions and, you know, and, and, and share our feelings on things. And that's... That is a positive, and that is actually one of the things that make this makes this country great is that we can. Yeah. Um, and one of the good, I don't know if you guys saw Stephen Curry's article, but it was just so fantastic because he was like, you know, yes, yeah, so we're going to use our platforms, but let's use them in a more positive way. Let's not just like call out who's against us and mm-hmm. you know be rude and be obnoxious and call them. I can, I don't, I don't want to call SOBs. And let's not just call them this and do this because we're not children. If you're going to use your platform, use it in a positive way. How can we help vets? How can we help children? How can we help our whatever we want to go forward? And I think Colin Kaepernick, who started all of this, has you know completed his million dollars towards, and he's done it all silently. And I think that's a good way to use your platform. I think Steph Curry bringing that up is basically saying, hey, you know, I, I got disinvited to the White House, but at least at least I'm going to use my platform in a positive way going forward. You know, he didn't say anything badly. He just said it was what it was when he got the tweet. He said, I heard the same way as you guys did. It was what it was. But going forward, here's how I'm going to help bet. So I thought that was really a good example of how to do it right. I would agree. Also, you can't really disinvite someone who already said they weren't coming. <laughs> <laughs> I saw somebody tweet after that. Next time I ask a girl out and she says no, I'm going to say, well, you weren't invited anyway. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> well, I think that's what Kerr said. He was like, he was going to, he, he was going to, what did he say? He said, he was going to break the date before, we, or he was going to break the date. So because we already did, or something like that. Which is, you know, it's it is <laughs> silly. It is silly, and it is it is funny. Um, but I think you know the Colin Kaepernick situation is just it's it's really too bad, and it really shows how far we have to go. I think in a lot of ways as a country. Um, it's interesting. I get a lot of comments. Actually, all of the fangirls do, all the NFL fangirls on our Facebook page is like, I'm boycotting the NFL, F you in the NFL, and I want to be like, but you're on my page. So 
you're not really boycotting the NFL. So that, like, why are we, why are you even, you know, it's just, I think what's unfortunate has happened in this country generally is you can't have a conversation about anything anymore. It's I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm just going to keep, you know, there's no like discussion of, well, I, you know, I understand your point of view and I find it interesting. Like, this is my point of view. We can agree to disagree, but understand where I'm coming from. That just doesn't exist anymore very often. And I think that that is too bad. Yeah. And to be honest, like, even in my own extended family, like, I am just taken aback by some of their views and who I love. These are family members I love, but they're just so taken they're just so taken by this idea and they just completely bought into the idea that this is the this is the only way or it's the highway yeah. you know and i'm shocked because i don't think they're i don't think they're idiots but i don't know why they're buying into this division and how they could stand behind somebody that you know certainly doesn't represent me doesn't even represent them and I think I think he's just very charismatic and he's a good TV personality and he's driving it and it's so just it's a real interesting thing but I think uh, the fact that he's even influencing sports and that we have to talk about it like it's just something I've never seen and it's probably not something you'll see again to be honest you know (laughs) I, I just think it's a unique. I don't know if we'll. I don't know if we'll ever see this again. It's just there's some some weekends like when all this stuff broke earlier in the season. Um, it just made it so incredibly difficult for me to enjoy like any any game on TV or for that weekend because so many people on my Facebook timeline and Twitter and stuff were just I'm boycotting this and how can you watch this and you know. It's all it's it's messed up. This is wrong. They're disrespecting you know everybody in the military and everything. It's like yeah, it's like I don't I don't even want to turn on TV and watch it. Like it's just that that annoying to me, you know. But you served in the military, and <laughs> you probably have more to say about this than anyone. Certainly not me. Like I can't speak to it. So it's like you have served in the military. So do you? How do you feel about it? Um, well, it never bothered me from the start. It's just like, I know what I, I know what I signed up for and I know what those ideals are supposed to represent. Um, now, you know, now lately they haven't always represented those ideals because I don't think that our rights and freedoms are under attack from any particular nation or or terrorist organization. So, you know, that's, that's a completely different subject, but I mean, we well, those of us that signed up, like we know, we know what those ideals mean, um, our rights and freedoms and all that, and so it, it never bothered me. Like, and it just so happened to be that I, you know, I, I kind of agree with a lot of his the issues that he has. Like, the, you know, police brutality is an issue. Um, you know, racial inequality is an issue. Like, just because people don't run around saying the N word and doing what they used to do in the in the post-Civil War era or even during the Civil Rights era to, to black people doesn't mean that that stuff doesn't exist in other forms. Um, and they, and I just don't understand like why it's so, why it's so difficult for people to accept that. Um, I mean, I guess I kind of know why, but 
as far as like the whole, you know, trying to bring veterans in the military into this and saying it's disrespectful to us. And I've never thought that once. Um, I know a lot of veterans that don't, I know a lot of veterans that have a problem with his chosen form of protest, but don't particularly care one way or another what he does because they understand like that's his right to do it. You know, they don't have to agree with it and you know, whatever, that's fine. But, um, it's just never, never really been an issue for me. Like it has for a lot of people. Um, and just the fact that, I, just the fact that people even mention us in this context is just really the more disheartening thing to me. Well, I think on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you think that you're being used as like a political pawn? Well, yeah. It's just it's it's this is my gripe with using. With, with anybody ever mentioning veterans at all is it only comes up when, you know, people are looking to stick it to other classes of people. So like in politics, um, veterans are frequently used as an issue to say, well, we, you know, veterans deserve more benefits and entitlements from the government than anybody getting welfare. So they use that as kind of like a, a tool that they can throw to their base to... Um, drum up support for like cutting welfare benefits and things like that uh, without even realizing that um, a lot of us veterans at one point or another um, have been on welfare. There are guys that are in the military that are on welfare, men and women, because they don't make enough money being a lower rank. Um, and so it, there's a lot of overlap with some of these issues. Like, you know, when the issues of refugees comes up, they came up, what, with like two years ago, maybe, or any time this year it came up when they say, you know, why are we taking in and housing refugees when we have homeless veterans that need to be housed? When was the last time anybody went out and actually advocated for housing homeless veterans? <laughs> like, you know, I worked at, I worked at a, at a veterans um, organization when I got out of the Navy because I was looking for other jobs and it was just the first thing available because I wanted to volunteer and they ended up offering me a position for a while. But we, housed homeless veterans and a lot of our money came from the government because we didn't get a lot of um we didn't get a lot of like donations from the community and 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 this is and then the funny thing is and it's not well it's not really funny but i was doing this in orange county california which is probably the most republican county in the entire nation um and we still couldn't get like any kind of you know, meaningful donations. So a lot of our grants and money came from the federal government. So it's just, I really wish that like they would stop using veterans in the military as some kind of political, you know, pawn or tool or whatever, just to just drum up support for their favorite issue. And then, um, you know, forget about us the rest of the time. Well, and I think that's, and I think that is something, and I don't remember who wrote it when, um, Cap first started kneeling, and so I apologize to whoever that writer was. It may have actually, may have been Marcus Thompson, but to be honest, I don't entirely remember. But someone said that for a lot of Americans, what they do for veterans is standing for the national anthem, and that the mm-hmm. kneeling became, and that's it. And so the kneeling became to them like a personal attack on what they do, which is, I think, silly, but I can't remember who wrote it, but they were saying, and they were saying, you know, not advocating that, but that they think that's, you know, a lot of it. 
Um, but I think, you know, I think it is unfortunate. But I think as far as Colin Kaepernick is concerned, I, I'll say this. I think he's truly is changing the world. I think he started a national conversation in this country that people did not want to have and did not want to talk about. And like Rich said, like people don't want to admit that there is racial inequality and there's police brutality and there are a lot of issues that people want to pretend aren't happening. And Colin Kaepernick has used his platform for good and to bring those to the forefront. And it's unfortunate for him and for those like him who are going to suffer consequences in the workplace. But maybe Colin Kaepernick makes it easier for the next guy or the next two guys or the next three women um, in the future. And it's, it's unfortunate that he is being punished, for lack of a better term. But you know what? He is changing the world. And who would have thought that that guy running into the end zone with no sleeves on in the Green, game ba- Green Bay game, kissing his bicep, was going to be the person to really start... Bring the nation bring to the, its knees. Yep. Who would have thought he's bringing the nation to its bicep? And I have to say, like, there's... There's something to be said for, that. for someone whose dog's name is Cappy, who always liked Colin Kaepernick, and who liked him because of the things he was doing in the community that nobody knew about at the time. Um, you know what? There's a certain amount of pride in that, and I think I think it's incredible. Um, I do think it's unfortunate he is not playing in the NFL anymore as a result of it, but I do think it's pretty incredible, and I, he will be remembered for things more important than, please don't get mad at me, fans but winning Super Bowls <laughs> so I think yeah. you know there's there's that um so that's what I have to say on that <laughs> that's why that's I mean why. there's lots of quarterbacks that haven't won Super Bowls so and they not. won't be remembered for anything so look at that so <laughs> um there's a lot of pretty forgettable quarterbacks right now there are a lot of pretty and and you know I got here's an amazing thing too he is not playing and he is probably the most talked about NFL player yeah 100% in the world so Something said yeah. that. Rich, I really enjoyed hearing um, your thoughts on this as a veteran. And I also really enjoyed hearing you talk about um, quarterbacking and reading defenses. And I mean, all that, that's all, I find that all so interesting. And I always feel like I learn something when I talk to someone who knows more than me um, about a number of issues. So I really appreciate you being on to talk to us about, um, about both of those things. It was interesting. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and Steph, thank you as always. Of course. It was a really good podcast today. We dug deep into our, you know, what we believe in wholeheartedly. And then we also got to, you know, examine our, you know, that the 49ers could win it all. Yes, yeah, there's so <laughs> many. The Seattle Seahawks. Yes, um, our previous guest, Rich, I, I don't want to spoil it for you when you listen, but... Um, he said, and I think he's going to regret saying it, but he said that the 49ers could beat the Seahawks easily. Easily. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I don't I think. I, I think I tend to agree with that. Well, you know what? That's two for easily, and that's, I think, two who aren't totally sure, but let's reconvene in a couple weeks on the Twitters and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are, we, are they mathematically eliminated from playoffs yet? Because that's no. a possibility. That, no, they know. are not. They are well, not. Let's just eliminate them from mathematics. 
<laughs> yeah, they are. So I don't wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't laugh just yet. Well, uh, let's see. Okay. November. You know what, you guys? November twenty sixth. At this point, we'll probably have a winner in that game, and so let's see how it goes. I'll see you. I'll see you guys on the tweets. <laughs> That's for Sounds sure. Good. We can discuss it. Twitterville. Twitterville. Exactly. I'll meet you over at the Twitterville. Um, well, thank you so much for being on, uh, Rich. If I don't talk to you, happy Thanksgiving. And um, Steph, happy Thanksgiving. Though I know I will talk to you. And um, I guess that's what we got. Niner fans. Also, we got a win. So, yay. Um, all right, guys. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you later. Great. Thank you. Bye.